You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everybody, welcome to Reporting as Eligible. I am Paul Newman of Acme Packing Company and the Shepherd Express. And this is a little unusual. Um, normally, I have the guys here, of course, and they are uh, an integral part of the podcast. But um, because it was a Monday night game and because it was late and because I'm traveling this week and I'm recording this from a actually very nice hotel in San Francisco, California, um, we just couldn't make it work so that everybody was here together. So this is going to be a little bit like one of the mini pods that I do. Uh, and if you've ever been curious about them, if you're not a patron, and uh, fine, if we appreciate all forms of support, whether you are just listening to the normal podcast or listening to the mini pod and the tailgate and all that good stuff. Um, but if you've never listened to the mini pods, this is going to be sort of a uh, a combined version of that and the regular podcast. I was, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened against the Raiders and then take all your questions. And because it's just me and uh, it's just you know me and you guys, we're going to uh, answer pretty much every question we got, whether it was on Patreon or Blue Sky or the other one that we don't say the name of. And um, you know that'll kind of build out the show for us because... You guys, you guys ask good questions. So um, again, really appreciate everything you do. But let's get into the actual game itself, which was a, a disappointing loss and a tough one to analyze because so much went wrong. It's easier uh, when thing when a specific thing goes wrong. It's very easy to identify what it was. This one was tricky because a lot of stuff didn't work well and. It's hard to isolate blame when that happens. So let's, I think, keep to our sort of optimistic season we've had on the podcast so far. We've liked to point out what people do well. And so let's start there because there was definitely some things that did go well for the Packers in this game. Um, on special teams, I thought they were pretty good for the most part. Um, Andrews Carlson won the Carlson battle handily. But let's start with Joe Barry's defense because if if there's one thing we do on this podcast, it is rip Joe Barry and do one weekly. And I've seen a lot of that happening on Twitter. Maybe I need to, to trim some Twitter people. Um, that would be reasonable. But the defense was not the problem here and very, very much not the problem. Everything that Joe Barry defenses do wrong did not happen in this game. Joe Barry defenses tend to allow a huge rushing game. Um, and if you listen to the mini pod, I projected there maybe will be a Josh Jacobs breakout game because that happens against the Packers. It did not. He had 20 carries for 69 yards. He did have a touchdown, but it was from close in. 
they did a nice job containing him. By the way, apologies for my voice. I have been uh, sick and yelling at soccer games and stuff like that, and so I sound like this, but I'll do my best. Um, so they didn't get run on. Uh, Devontae Adams did not beat them at all. He had four catches for 45 yards. There was one screenshot uh, thing. It, it's screenshot, whatever. It happened where uh, because the Packers missed a check, an empty set check, where Preston Smith was covering Devontae Adams and he had a big game, not great. But generally speaking, Devontae didn't do anything. They did a great job against him. The only receiver who did anything decent for the Raiders was Jacoby Myers. And a 775 touchdown? That's okay. You live with that as the best receiving performance on the other side of the ball. Um, a ton. Uh, the other thing Joe Barry defenses usually do is choke on uh, important high leverage downs, third downs especially. Third downs are not great for Joe Barry. I feel like he tends to treat every down like it is every other down. And so they drop three and allow easy completions. That didn't happen. They had a bunch of sacks in this game. Most of them were on third down and forced punts. Um, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, uh, and uh, J.J. Enigbari, and Preston. I think all had third down sacks that forced punts. They did great in high leverage situations. They forced uh, punts. Uh, they did a nice job getting a turnover. Rudy Ford had a nice interception. More on that in a bit. But um, the Joe Barry defense should be off the hook here. Uh, they, they held the Raiders to 17 points, and they did allow a couple of touchdown drives. But they also like stood up and stopped post-Jordan Love interception drives pretty well. Like um, They allowed a touchdown drive in the... Sorry, I have... If, if you're new to the mini pod, um, I usually have a million spreadsheets open. And since this is kind of like that, I have a million spreadsheets open. So um, the Raiders got their first touchdown on a full field drive, which was a, a nice Raider drive. Um, in the second quarter, it started, it was, a, it was a long drive. It started with 1237 and ran it all the way down to 413 left on the clock. And then you may remember Jordan Love immediately threw an interception as, as soon as he got the ball back to Robert Spillane, who had two picks on the day. A terrible throw. Romeo Dobbs had three guys in front of him. But the Packer defense stood up, and they forced a field goal. Um, the, the Raiders took over at uh, the Green Bay 7-yard line, and that very easily could have put the game out of reach, and it didn't. So, yeah, th they didn't do great. But even on that previous drive, they did force a 4th and 1. They, they gave it up. But, you know, the new NFL, people go for it on fourth. It's harder than it used to be. Um, they had a third and five. They had a third and 11. It, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, they they showed up a bunch of times to prevent huge things from happening. And um, I, I don't see how you do how you can blame the, the Barry defense at all for this. They also got hit hard by injuries. When Quay Walker was in the game, he was a force and was playing extremely well. Uh, he does get hurt a lot. It's a problem with Quay Walker. But once he left the game with already missing Devondre Campbell, they were just in rough straits and still played really well. I feel like if Quay's in that game, they probably stop a couple of those fourth down go for it. They probably are a little bit better up the middle on some play on some sort of minor plays that happened. Um, Darnell Savage also got hurt and. He, I don't. I can't say he was playing a great game, but you know it hurts. It hurts their defense, generally speaking, and for have, for losing two starters and one of whom I think is a really important starter, 
they were outstanding. I don't want to hear any any naysaying of Barry from this game. Uh, that's not why they lost. Like, if you hold any NFL team to 17 points, you should win that game. 17 points is like what bad teams score against you know highly qualified opponents. The problem on this game was entirely on offense. And so let's get into that because uh, mo- a lot of most questions are about that. You know, as per usual, offense is the big deal. And let's start digging into what exactly happened because. Even on offense, it was bad. Everything that happened was bad. But um, a lot of related bad things all came together to undo this game. So let's start, first of all, with what the Raiders did that was smart on defense. There were two big things that they did that were smart on defense. The first is good scouting on Jordan Love. Jordan Love, he started great against the Bears. We should probably start ignoring that Bears game. For a lot of reasons, I have a, the Bears have been frisky lately. Uh, I, they maybe even have their act together a little bit. But that game, first game of the season, is going to end up being an outlier. And Love hasn't been good since then, but he's been good at one specific thing, which is targeting the middle of the field. In fact, it's kind of the only thing he's been good at, which is one of the major problems with the Packer offense. The Raiders, very smartly, decided to flood the middle of the field with people and say, okay, Jordan, you're going to beat us, beat us over the top, beat us to the sidelines, and beat us by throwing short in front of you. And by God, he did not do any of those things. Um, That is a smart way to play Jordan Love. He is very good when he can see what he's throwing to in an area of the field that is traditionally uh, a high-efficiency throw. That's the middle of the field in a nutshell. But the middle of the field is funny because... You can't just throw to the middle of the field over and over. It's like having an NBA team and telling them, oh, the three-point shot is the, the most efficient shot. Just shoot threes. That won't work. Um, there was this one season uh, for the Brewers. I, sorry, football, I know. But um, I, I like this because it's a good science story and a good weird guy story. Uh, Zach Granke, when he was with the Brewers, he took a season where he learned that uh, the, the FIP stat was important. If you don't know what FIP is... That is the fielding independent pitching statistic. It is a statistic that tracks the things that pitchers control, which is home runs, walks, and strikeouts. Now, we've gotten more sophisticated at evaluating pitching at this point, and we know the pitchers actually do control the quality of contact in the field and so have some influence on their defense. But um, for a long time, we basically thought pitchers control these things. Everything else happens is random noise. And Granke started saying, okay, if I can limit my walks and strike out more people than I usually do and keep the ball in the park, which means throwing the ball lower in the zone more, I will be good because FIP controls production. Here's the thing. FIP does not control production. FIP is a measure of the emergent properties of pitching. Um, If you try to pitch to FIP, hitters will guess that you are doing that and they will punish you for it and so it ceases to be a good metric for anyone doing that um fips a measure of you trying to get guys out and how well you do the things you control now um granky had a bad season and it was unfortunate that he did there Uh, but it was a good learning experience on the emergent properties of what you can control in sports and um like uh, football is kind of the same in that there are some areas of the field you can target to be efficient, but if you just hit them over and over again, defenses adjust. They will guard those areas and say, okay, 
<laughs> are you going to hit all threes? We'll just guard the whole three-point circle and see if you hit some twos. Jordan Love was challenged in this game with hitting some twos, even easy twos, and he couldn't do it. And um, that was kind of the story of the game in a nutshell. Um, over, over at Acme Packing Company, I'm trying to furiously scroll up. Um, we, we, we do a lot of stat digging and exchanging of information in our Slack so that we all know kind of the same thing as everybody else does. Everybody's a great contributor. Like Justice is obviously amazing at that. So is Archon. So is everybody else. Um, and Archon dug up a stat that's adjusted completion percentage. It adjusts for drops. And at this point in the season, um, I won't read you all of the breakdowns of all of the adjusted completion percentage, but Jordan Love's bad at all of them. Basically, if he can't throw two guys over the middle of the field that he can see over the middle of the field, he's just not very good at doing anything else. He's 34th in adjusted completion percentage at throwing behind the line of scrimmage. And again, that takes drops out of the equation. Um, just not good enough at something else. Now, I don't think you have to be perfect at every area of the field. Um, I just think you have to be good at at least two. <laughs> like, if they take something away, you have to be able to do the other one. And given his arm talent, it's really unfortunate that his deep ball lacks touch like it does. It should be a weapon. Uh, one of the things about Favre and Rodgers after he was coached up is that safeties basically couldn't be deep enough. You could keep running... Uh, on scramble drills deep forever and both guys would be able to hit you and love has that kind of arm talent but goodness he just uh he loses his mechanics he lets things float on him and he just cannot do it so one problem in this game was love the raiders did a fantastic job of figuring out um, what he can and cannot do they took away what he can do and he could not adjust um, we should get on matt lafleur a little bit here too because I, we got to start tracking this a little bit more. So you should watch, it, when the Packers aren't playing, watch the 49ers play. Uh, watch how Kyle Shanahan does coach teams. And he runs the ball a lot. But he runs the ball a lot because teams play their defense to take away the pass. The 49ers are great at having power guys who can catch the pass. And so if there's a nickel or a dime defense out there, they'll punish you with Christian McCaffrey or Kyle Juszczyk or a bevy of other guys who are awesome at power running up the middle. Um, and if you if you are tempted, if you are getting beaten to death, and you're tempted to, to put guys out there to stop the run, then he goes for explosive plays down the field, again, with big guys. Debo's a big guy. Brandon Ayuk is a big receiver, and George Kittle is an outstanding and you know big tight end. That's the 49ers, and McCaffrey too. Like That's the 49ers in a nutshell. Everybody's built to power run and to catch passes, and they're maybe the best team ever at doing both. And so the Packers allegedly have a Shanahan disciple running things in Matt LaFleur. But it sure looks a, a lot like, much more like, especially recently, some 80s coach who wants to establish the run to pass the ball. That's not good. That's bad. There's a lot of A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon, or A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon pass to hopefully get the first down. There's a lot of like setting up third downs that are achievable, which is not good and not how the 49ers work. Like You want to be trying to get a first down every play, and you want to be setting up... Uh, the run should be setting up big plays, and, and that, that is where I think LaFleur is falling down. And let me give you a couple of examples. Um, there was... 
definitely, there were a lot of second and shorts in this game that uh, even under normal non-Shanahan offenses would be deep shots, would be an attempt to generate some kind of big play with uh, trick play is not the right word, but, you know, with a splash play. And instead, it ends up being a Dillon two-yard carry. And he got, uh, A.J. Dillon has a bad stat, he has a very A.J. Dillon stat line in this game. Um, but he did pick up a lot of first downs on short yardage. It's just those ended up being wasted plays when they should have been a chance at something bigger. That's what the 49ers Shanahan offense is fundamentally about. Um, punishing defenses with power to set up second and short, not third and short. Third and short is a dangerous play. Third and short is uh, if you miss it, you are giving the ball back in a lot of scenarios. Um, the 49ers are all about get a first down. And if you don't get a first down, set something up where you're sure to get a first down later. The Eagles operate the very same way. The greatest advantage of the tush push is not the tush push itself. Uh, it, by the way, if you're listening to this, like uh, my mom probably is, and you don't know what the Eagles tush push is, it's a way that they have established where their quarterback takes the ball. Uh, in a third and one or fourth and one situation, and the whole offensive line basically and and their quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, they'll shove together as one and always pick up the first down. Um, the big picking up first downs is great, but the big huge offensive advantage it grants you is the certainty that that will happen and the ability to shoot for big plays before it does, and that is where the Packers and Matt Lafleur do seem to struggle. They seem to run for the sake of running. It's it's unfortunately a lot like McCarthy. <laughs> it's weird. It's bad. Not a fan. Um, and this game was a lot of it. There's so many A.J. Dillon short yardage runs on second and third and short that could have been shots down the field. Um, so A.J.'s probably best game of the year. It wasn't good. 20 for 76. But he did have a high success rate. He didn't get stuffed a whole lot. And yeah, but really the tale of the Packers in this game uh, isn't the running game. It's not even love. It's just how effectively the Raiders took away the middle of the field. And you can see it in the stat lines. So the chief operator in the middle of the field for the Packers this year has been Jaden Reed, the rookie. And if you get him the ball in space with a nice, easy, over-the-middle-of-the-field pass, he tends to do well with it. In this game, he had two targets. He caught one ball for seven yards. It was on a bubble screen. It wasn't on a middle-of-the-field pass. And, yeah, seven yards, okay, you can work with that. But they totally took away the slot receiver game in the middle of the field completely. Um, they they seem to have diagnosed everybody's weakness correctly. Let's run it down. Look, Musgrave. The first, uh, not first round, that's ridiculous. The first, <laughs> um, the highly drafted tight end for the Packers, Luke Musgrave, seven targets, six catches, 34 yards, a long of eight. Very consistent in that in that matter. But Musgrave does not generate yak. So the Raiders were happy to allow Musgrave to catch the ball in front of him, knowing they could immediately tackle him for no extra gain. Um they capitalized on that to force him to have a very inefficient six out of seven catch game for basically no yards. Um, Dontavian Wicks should get the ball more. He had a brilliant 10-yard catch where he was wide open. They should do that more. But let's move on to Romeo. Romeo Dobbs um, came from a an air raid system in college. Air raid 
is a great college system, but it does produce receivers who have trouble getting off of press man uh, because it forces them to be basically open off the line of scrimmage or you're dead. Um, he caught one of four targets for four yards. Romeo was blanketed all night. They, uh, Jordan Love threw a bunch of contested catches to him, but he was not able to get clean separation off the line of scrimmage because people got up in his grill and got hands on him. Now, um, Christian Watson, you probably all know the problem with Christian Watson. He is not a contested catch guy, and he has kind of bad hands. And, uh, yep, one bomb hit him in the hands, and he should have caught it. And the other one, oh, man, it was 77 yards. But Christian Watson is faster than everybody else in the league. And you got to house that guy. Like, yes, they should have scored anyway. Yes, the play calling after that was bad. But Christian Watson's 77-yard if he takes any other angle, like if he if he just turns left and goes to the pylon, or if he turns extreme right and goes to the pylon, he scores, and instead he got caught from behind, which should never happen. And honestly, I kind of wonder if he's fully healthy because that guy should never, ever get caught from behind. Um, the Raiders were really well scouted in this game, and I don't think much to the Raiders, but they did a great job just killing the Packers on every single weakness they have starting with the middle of the field, daring them to do everything else, and having every other weakness just bite every receiver in the butt. Um, I want to come back to the Watson 77-yard where he should have scored because um, Rudy Ford on that interception, also that should have been a pick six. And I do wonder if the narrative of this game is completely different if those two things go differently because Watson really should have scored on that play. And Rudy Ford, there's one guy who is falling down between him and the end zone, and he ran into him because he's a kind of bad safety. Like, just just run anywhere else straight and you score a touchdown, and the Packers probably win this game. Um, of course, uh, we should discuss the other, other elephants in the room. The Packer offensive line did not do a good job, especially with Max Crosby, and this is where LaFleur really fell down. Um, there were several instances in which Crosby was single or kind of half double blocked by just tight ends. Uh, the, for those who don't know, Max Crosby is a very good edge rusher. He is excellent. However, he's the only excellent defensive player on the Raiders in, in its entirety. And if you just double team him or even just have a tackle take him, you'll probably be fine. But the Packers ran all these long developing plays, both run and pass, where a tight end was supposed to either cut block him or stand up block him, which is a terrible idea. Tucker Craft had one play where he was supposed to take his legs out and just whiffed entirely, and it caused a whole bunch of negative plays that had no business happening in the first place. It was frankly ridiculous. Like, there's one guy you have to worry about on the whole defense. Um, anybody else can single block the entire Raiders defense, and they let Crosby have a pretty monster game by bad play calling. That is on LaFleur. That's awful. Maybe you can blame Love a little bit for audibles and things like that, but it should be key in the game plan. Like, okay, they have one guy. We're going to double him, and we'll be fine if we do that because we'll have time to throw. We'll be able to run effectively towards him or away from him, uh, but no, that's, that is not what happened at all, and... uh it was a huge problem. Almost every negative play they had on defense was just because Crosby was blocked by someone who was incapable of blocking him. And 
that's on Lafleur. But one thing Lafleur I feel like does is call his offense regardless of personnel. And this is going to be a criticism of both Lafleur and no criticism, but a realization of the injuries they have. So um, one thing you'll see frequently with this offense is um, AJ Dillon running plays that should be for Aaron Jones outside plays. Uh, Dylan, to the extent he should run any plays at all, which aren't many, should be north-south. And they run these outside zone plays to him and these toss plays to him that he's just not capable of doing. And on the offensive line, I feel like we get the same thing. This offensive line is banged up. It is missing key people. It is uh, Rashid Walker, pretty good in pass blocking, actually, but as a run blocker, he is awful. And there's no adjustment for the skill set of the players on the field. LaFleur just doesn't seem to do it. He's got his stuff, and he runs it, and bleh. Um, so it hurts their efficiency a ton. It did in this game. They let Crosby be a factor when there was no... The, nobody else is going to let that happen. The Raiders are going to play a bunch more games this season, and he's going to get double-teamed, and he's not going to be a factor. And that is how... This is dumb. We, we had that problem because we're dumb. So before we get to questions is... Just how sort of cowardly, I, I say cowardly in jest on Twitter uh, pretty often, but the Packers could have created some additional luck for themselves by going for it on fourth down a couple more times, um, especially with Love running the ball. And the 22-yard field goal, I think, was really atrocious. That whole sequence um, after the Christian Watson play uh, that ended up in a, a fourth and four field goal there's so much more you can do than pound Dylan up the middle, including pounding a different running back up the middle. But you, you can run an RPO, and uh, this is where I want to get a little bit more into LeFleur because if you all remember the Bears game, they had all these creative plays. They had these fun like tight end leakouts for Musgrave down the field using his actual skill set as a deep threat, not as a yak person. If Tucker Craft had a bad game, but if you want to run yak plays, run it with him. He's good at that. Like, he can catch the ball and get you another four or five easy yards. Musgrave's fast. He's supposed to be a down-the-field threat. Um, you you got <laughs> to use guys for what they're good at. Um, but Lafleur was kind of cowardly in this game. He did not go for it as many times as he should have. And earlier in the season, he did. He hasn't used... The, the actual RPO game very much at all, especially since the first game. And Love's not the most mobile quarterback of all time. He's not Justin Fields running the ball, but we've seen him run effectively several times. He's actually pretty good at like getting to the sticks, and he can run a proper RPO just fine. He really, really can. If you give him a post-read RPO, it's a nice, easy play. He should be able to execute it well. And a few times around the end zone would have been a nice thing to see, especially if you run a random counter off of it. Lafleur's creativity seems to have dried up since the Bear game. It's really unfortunate. Um, if you can't plan a, 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 a cromulent scheme with the 11 days they had to plan it, what are you even doing? Sure, you had all off-season for the Bears to do it, but it's just been the same crap ever since then. The same run, 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 random pass. Nothing creative. Like There's like one or two a game. The Watson play was legit good, but it's just not coming together like it should, 
And I do wonder about his uh, actual like nine to five Monday through Sunday implementation because he seems to just run out of steam. Um, also worth noting, there's this random tweet out there. It's not random, but I call it that. There's a tweet out there that broke down script versus non-script plays, defining script as the first 15 plays of the game. Uh, you know, it's not perfect. It's just trying to approximate what the script is. And Lafleur this season has the worst scripted plays of anybody in football. And after the script goes away is actually pretty good. It goes along with the Packers being actually the highest scoring second half team in the league this year. But the but the 20, tied for 29th first half team in the league this year, um, they seem to do better when they um, get into let Jordan Love cook a little bit. And when they're running Matt LaFleur scheme post the Bear game, it is bad. Bad, bad, bad. Too much running, too much AJ for two yards, um, too much weird random Jordan plays, and they got to get this fixed. So, um, all right. That should do it for analysis. They have the bye week coming up. I will have everybody back to do some analysis next week, and um, we will do some fun stuff in between, at least if I get my voice back. Uh, but until then, let's take some questions and answer all of the wonderful, interesting things you guys have. All right, so since this is an email show and I am by myself, uh, I feel it is fair to disclose that the analysis portion of the show was recorded before I went to the conference and the question portion of the show <laughs> is recorded after I went to the conference. And if you've ever been to a conference, you know what that means. Essentially, this is the um, Matt, the Matub, I have had many bourbons section of the podcast. Hopefully, that'll make it more entertaining. I will try and keep my brain about me, but let's get into it. So, of course, first is our Patreon members. Uh, if you are not a Patreon member and would like to have question priority on the show for the rest of the season, uh, and I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of questions about the rest of the season, please go to patreon.com slash mketailgates. Uh, if you subscribe at the $2 level, you get question priority on the show and on the tailgate podcast. Uh, if you subscribe at the $5 level, you will get uh, my mini podcasts, which usually go, li go live on Friday at about noon, giving an analytical breakdown of the upcoming opponents. You'll also get uh, Ryan Top and James Anderson's minor league extra on the baseball pod, if you care about that. Um, going into the Brewers minor league system in depth, which honestly is a good thing to do if you're a Brewers fan, because that's going to be the future of the team. They've been drafting a lot better lately. Do go check that out. But let's get to it. So uh, first and foremost on the Patreon, Donald Anderson, very, very prompt lately on the Patreon. Um, update. The Packers have gone two games since receiving a personal foul call. Uh, he claims he will retire this bit after uh, five instances of it not occurring. Uh, I kind of feel like Love holds the ball too long. Is he missing guys and uh, and is timid or are the wide receivers not open? So that's a good question and kind of goes into Love in a nutshell because he does hold the ball too long. He is definitely a big game hunter. Um, in analytics parlance, honestly, this is actually something that football outsiders made up, but it's a good heuristic. Um, there's sort of three categories of quarterbacks. There's uh, game managers. That's Alex Smith. They will take the open throw, the easy throw, and not risk a sack or an interception. There are big game hunters, and that is Aaron Rodgers, where you will take a sack, um, but you're, you're looking for stuff down the field, and you won't throw a pick. You'll just eat it. 
And then just gunslingers. That's Brett Favre. Brett Favre will just shoot that sucker down there, uh, interception or touchdown or whatever. It's going out. Um, and um, Love is a big game hunter. He will take a sack, and uh, he, he is maybe a gunslinger. You know what? I retract that. He's a gunslinger. College, he was a gunslinger. He'll throw picks. Uh, he wants it out there. And yes, he holds it too long. He will not run into too many sacks, but it is a problem of his. He does not get it out early. And I think that's the main useful thing with Jordan Love is that he passes up early, easy throws, slants, and whatnot. Uh, the last episode was called Turn Down for What? If you watched the QB school or even referenced it, turndowns are when you don't make a throw that's open early in the hopes that a throw that is open late will occur and love is notorious for it at this point um, he does hold the ball too long he wants the big play he's also not good at throwing short so that makes some logical sense and yeah it's an issue for him it's a different issue than justin fields has where he's just he just is a slow processor and lets the rush get into him. Love should pull the trigger faster. He may also be a slow processor, but a different kind. But yeah, it's an issue. Love needs to expand the number of kinds of throws he makes. All right. Next up, Mark Podscarby. Uh, this is the youngest team in the NFL. And historically speaking, the youngest team in the NFL has been terrible. That is true for obvious reasons. Uh, he did the math, and over the last decade, the youngest team in the NFL has gone 50 and 112, averaging five wins a season. Yes, correct. Every week, we've been the underdog heading into Sunday, according to Vegas. So why did we as a fan base seem to place any expectation at all on what this team could accomplish this year when all the signs pointed toward us being bad? Well, it's a good question. It's a logical question. And I think the main thing is that we didn't really think the team was very good. We hope the team's good. We're fans. We hope that Jordan Love just comes in and blows the doors off of people and is instantly a good quarterback, which, by the way, does happen sometimes, especially with quarterbacks that have been around a while. But fundamentally, this podcast's position has been Matt's position, which is that this is a six-win team that has a garbage schedule and could very easily luck itself into playoff contention. Um, if they are a true six-win team, I think that's a problem because that's more of a three-win team. But um, this is, to the extent people had expectations, that's kind of silly. They really, really shouldn't. It's not It's not a juggernaut. Young, young teams are going to have chemistry problems, timing problems, um, Joe Barry problems. It, it's just not that. So... Um, nobody should get that upset if they're bad. It's just, it's such a bad division and such a bad conference that if if Jordan Love is any good at all, this should be a 500 team. And I think that's the big concern right now, that they're not overplaying expectations in any significant way, and it's been a problem. So there you go, Mark. PJ Wessels, uh, this was bad. Yes, it was. We feel bad. Yeah, we do. So... So should the team, also true. So to remedy that, what is something that the team is good at? Well, that's a good question. Um, let's see. I, I started this thing by mentioning that Jordan Love is good at throwing to the middle of the field, and that's true. Um, Aaron Jones is good. That's also true. Um, without Bakhtiari, things get tricky on the line. <laughs> 
Um, with a fully healthy line, even without Bakhtiari, I do feel like that is a legitimate strength. Receivers are not. We cannot claim that. Um, defensive line is not. Kenny Clark's awesome, but we can't claim that either. Um, linebackers also not. Secondary, I think kind of yes. Uh, you know, one thing I glossed over on the front half of this is how good Razul Douglas was in this game because he was really good. Um, he provided good single coverage, good zone coverage. He was a good tackler. Uh, he was yelling at people who sucked, which uh, is also kind of fun. Uh, I think corners are good. I think that's true. And edge rushers have had a rough season. Uh, and you can make the case that Gary is sort of the apex with a, a big drop down after that. But I do think they're still pretty deep at edge. So uh, I think you got those going for you. O-line, yes. But everything else is very unproven. So, yeah, that's kind of it. Even Matt LaFleur, kind of unproven still at this point and has had a rough couple weeks. Joe Barry sucks. So, yeah, I think that's it's corners. It's offensive line when they're healthy. And Aaron Jones. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And there you go. You can build off that. Uh, Jay Google, uh, six catches by the wide receivers in a game versus some bad Raiders cornerbacks. Yeah. Can't happen, right? Like Dubs and Reed disappeared, or was it MLF got soft and scared? Receivers are not on Matt LaFleur. Um, he did not call a creative game. He should have done a better job, but this was entirely the Raiders taking away the middle of the field. Like That is Jaden Reed being erased in a nutshell that the slot catches were absolutely gone and dubs had a bad game man they, they pressed him off the line they beat him up it did not work um it was all watson and speed in one good very good dontavian wicks route uh they need to find a better secondary playbook when the middle is taken away of throws that love is able to make reliably so a little bit on matt but it's not scared. It's it's definitely love sucks at throwing to everywhere else. But this, and they did not have um, a backup plan available. Make of that what you will. Uh, since this is this podcast, I'll tell you right now. Like I've never thought much of Romeo, <laughs> and it, he was an air raid guy. He, if he could develop a good release off the line, I think he'd be very good. But he hasn't. He's a contested catch guy. I loved Ontavian Wicks. He is a rookie. Um, 
but I think that they are doing themselves a disservice by not playing him on the outside opposite Watson because I think he is actually really good at creating space and separation off the line. Uh, If you watch one play of this last game, go watch Wick's 10-yard reception because it was the best offensive player of this entire game. He was very good at it. Um, But part of, so I guess part of this is scheme, part of this is uh, seniority and not talent. Um, And yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, So Bryce Drozen. Hey, Bryce. Uh, I would ask, what's the best way to tank honorably? Unless something drastically changes, playoffs are out of the question. Not in this division, they're not. So how can the pack work towards improvement for 2024 with the assumption that MLF returns and still get a top seven-ish draft pick? First of all, this is very much still, we have a huge variance in play. Okay, the Packers could still turn this around. Like, okay, real quick. I know it seems far-fetched that they would turn this around. I do understand that, but everybody has to realize that uh, it's one game. It's a, maybe one, two, two games, and that's a small sample size. And while we tend to focus on the negative on small sample sizes and be like, "Oh, this is death. This is awful," and not the positives, which, which we kind of discard as, "Oh, that was just a small sample size. It's the Bears. Who cares?" Um, that's not a smart way to look at things. Sometimes. You're really good, and then things go badly for reasons outside of your control. You have a bad week. Your stomach is upset. You, something bad happens that's completely outside of our purview, and then you, you rally back, and you're your same old good stuff, you know, self again. That does happen. Um, it's not what I think is going on here, but it does happen. Um, but, yes, generally speaking, I think this is not a great team. I, I've a love skeptic from his college days. And so I think they're probably bad and will at some point realize they're bad. And maybe, maybe in this game, they did realize they were bad because the plays Matt LaFleur called seemed to be protecting a quarterback from himself. So the best way to tank honorably, if your players are bad, is to let them play honestly bad. Uh, And that's really what it comes down to. Like if Jordan Love sucks, Jordan Love is, so if he sucks, he sucks in a very Jordan Love way, which is taking chances, winging it down the field, throwing a ton of picks. And you should let him do that because that's fun. That's entertaining. What you should not do is protect him and run a bunch of shitty running plays that don't go anywhere um, while trying to minimize his turnovers. Like, go full hog on this and let him air it out so you can say, hey, we let Jordan run his offense. It's exciting, but we lost, and now we're going to draft Drake May, and yada, yada, yada. That's what you should do. But you shouldn't engineer tanking. You shouldn't have to. If you're if you're good enough to have to intentionally tank in this NFC, you're good enough to make the playoffs, and you should. All right. On to Scarf 21. Love has had quite a regression, as in face planting down to earth, over the past couple games. He has the soul of a gunslinger. Yes, he does. But still can't get the deep ball right. With that game-ending interception, the cherry on top of this struggle Sunday. At the same time, I've heard MLF's play calling has been rather uninspiring. How much of the offensive struggles is on Love's shoulders, and how much of it is on MLF's? And how concerned are you that Love from the past couple games, especially with his inability to get the deep ball right, and perhaps even his decision-making struggles, is the real Jordan Love? I'm terrified this is the real Jordan Love. Um, I feel like we need to go back to the beginning of the season when the mission statement is 
we're testing Jordan Love to see if he's not just good, but great. We gave him a an extension to play, but we can move on if he's bad. And if he is bad, this upcoming quarterback class is great. It's not just Caleb Williams and Drake May. There's a lot of other good quarterbacks on the backside of it. And if your quarterback sucks, this is a good one to take another one to at least give him competition if you don't outright trade him. So, um, yeah, uh, Jordan's very concerning because Jordan Love has played games that are indicative of his weaknesses in college. Uh, he was a poor accuracy thrower in college and still is. Uh, he threw a lot of interceptions in college that were baffling and after this game still has. He's not a great mobile guy. He's He can run. He can do some damage there, but he's not great. Uh, and that's kind of still the case. And he really struggles mechanically with simple throws, short and intermediate. And that's still the case. So, so if you end the season today, which is silly, like you shouldn't do that. But if you end it today, he's very concerning and you should move on. We, we have much season left and we shouldn't completely discount some of the progress he's shown early, including against the Bears. And maybe he can turn this around. Maybe... He's just having a bit of a brain fart under pressure and some coaching will get him back to snuff and he will start hitting big plays down the field again. But it's worrying. Like Some of this should have been eliminated, especially on short throws. And indeed, we should be concerned and prepared to move on if nothing improves. All right. Patrick Detmer asks, What's more inevitable? The Brewers failing in spectacular fashion with runners in scoring position or the Packers defense playing 10 yards off in a high leverage situation and allowing an easy completion. So uh, what's more inevitable is the second because the Brewers actually aren't that bad with runners in scoring position over the course of the regular season. They really weren't. They were about league average. Uh, Ryan will correct me later. I don't remember, but they weren't atrocious. They were just um, the kind of bad that allows fans to think it's worse than it was. Uh, whereas the Packers play the stupid shell in third down way more often than they should. That is absolutely true. Danish cheesehead. That's a good one. <laughs> Which narrative do you find most appropriate? Uh, option A. The O-line was supposed to be our strength, and replacing AJ Dillon with a street guy will bring our running attack back to good. Or option B. The O-line is a weakness, the tight ends block as the rookies. They are, which is bad in a 12-personal heavy system. True. And A.J. Dillon is serviceable, but not as great as Aaron Jones. This is, I think, fundamentally an A.J. Dillon question. But first of all, it's not a good run-blocking line. They actually have pretty good depth, but that depth is best suited towards pass-blocking, not run-blocking. And guys like Rasheed Walker, who are perfectly serviceable as pass-blockers, are awful in run-blocking. So... This comes down to the old A.J. Dillon rushing over expected question, and that is not great. Um, so the O-line is, I think, a strength with some caveats. Coaching was not great tonight, especially on Max Crosby, and Aaron Jones, in particular, is great at getting yards over expected. A.J. is not. A.J. is a problem, and um, I feel like if you had an average back behind Aaron Jones you would not be in the predicament you are now. You don't need great. You just need good, and they don't have that. So 
the O-line is a strength, and um, AJ hasn't been replaced with a street free agent. Like, Emmanuel Wilson never gets carries for whatever reason. They seem to like him. They keep him on the active roster. And Patrick Taylor is better than him when he gets carries for the most part. Now, he got stoned once on this game, but he also had a key first down conversion, and AJ's just a guy. And I think there's definitely some sunk cost fallacy here in keeping him that should not exist. But the O-line is a strength because passing is more important. It would be nice if they were better on blocking, for sure. They're not. It's a problem, but it's not that big a problem. All right, so Richard Proctor. Do you think MLF is a good coach? I'm going to assume in advance that your answers are variations of he's fine. It's not fair to judge him yet. The team is young and injuries exist. And so my follow-up question is, at what point would you consider changing the head coach? How many seasons of leeway does LaFleur get? All right, Richard's got two, but I want to take this one first because I'm not sure LaFleur is a good coach. Um, it's difficult to judge coaches, generally speaking, but especially when they have Aaron at quarterback. And I, I wrote about this because, well, all of you know, I don't like Aaron. It's undeniable. Aaron's a good football mind who's very good at football playing, and he can cover up a lot of inefficiencies from the coach. And clearly had a, a problem with Lafleur. He did not run a lot of Lafleur plays, and so this is our first instance of getting to see sort of Lafleur unadulterated. But it's not a great team. It, it is uh, all young people. Some of them are more talented than others. Jordan Love might suck, and so it is. It's tricky. However, if forced to give an answer at this very minute, I think he's not a good coach. And uh, I watched. I've watched a lot of 49ers this season, and Kyle Shanahan is, he's a wizard. I think he's like a Belichickian-style wizard where it's hard to learn from him. But fundamentally, he just runs a, a game theory approach, which is he wants a, a lot of guys who are big who can catch passes so that if you play nickel, you can run over them, and if they play uh, heavy, you can pass against them. And that's over, overly simplistic, but that's kind of it. Um, that's the basis of the Shanahan system. And like when you see guys like Christian McCaffrey doing crazy business, it's because they have massive guys blocking for them. And McCaffrey is just a monster catching the ball where he can get extra yards against linebackers and corners very easily. And the thing is, if the Packers were truly in that system, they would look more like that. And they just don't. Um, Kyle Shanahan does not run Christian McCaffrey into giant, heavy, pointless boxes all the time. He just doesn't. And A.J. Dillon seems to get a lot of, oh, this is a running play, plow into the line carries. If this was truly that style offense, A.J. Dillon would be getting catches, which he never, ever does. And you may be saying, oh, his hands might suck. Fair. But if his hands suck, he shouldn't be on the goddamn field. Like, Emmanuel Wilson actually showed pretty good hands in preseason. Patrick Taylor is perfectly cromulent to catching passes. Like, get your ass off the field. Part of the offense is throwing to your running back when light guys are defending him. And this offense doesn't do it. The other thing is, there's a lot of um, draft position seemingly baked into playing time. And I, I have my dubs thing, which is not, you know, people disagree with that, Romeo is a favorite, but Luke Musgrave is getting a lot of 
targets that are supposed to generate yak. And there's no evidence he's good at that. He was bad at it in college. He was bad at it. The pros so far are like, don't do that. That's stupid. Like, what are you, what are you up to? Um, there's a lot of trying to fit um, square pegs that you picked into round holes that you also picked. And also some round pegs on the team that you could use if you wanted to. So I'm not big on Matt right now. I am not a fan. Uh, also, not, keeping Joe Barry around is just like icing on that particular cake. You don't need to do that. He sucks. We have lots of evidence. So yeah, I think Matt's a problem. I would be hesitant to give him any long-term stuff. He'll get a lot of leeway because this is rebuilding. You don't have Aaron, etc. But man, they need to have some stringent performance evaluations in place for him. And Richard adds, not a question. Don't have to read on pod. I'm going to read it. Sorry, it's that kind of night. Pulled some numbers for you guys since I bet LaFleur's prep and record after buys coming up on the next episode. Uh, in 2019, we lost before the buy to San Francisco 37-8 and then won in Seattle 28-23. You know what? I'm not going to read this because I don't know what order you put them in. <laughs> um, anyway. Maybe I'll post it in the comments. I think we have a good post by record, but I do not remember. Uh, four and three total. I could do the math and figure that out, but I have been on company, not company, on other people's expense account drinking. So ah, that was water. Anyway, let's move to the next one. Richard, good question. I appreciate the research. I am above interpreting it at this point. Uh, Rob Regis, what's wrong with the offense? Um, What's wrong with the offense is people have figured out that Jordan Love can only throw to the intermediate middle of the field and started playing pe people that take that away. And it really just comes down to that. There's a secondary, which is that Aaron Jones is way better than A.J. Dillon. And when you have him in the lineup, you don't face as many second and third and difficult situations as you do with the current team. But that's kind of it. Um, I do think mostly it's quarterback situation and they need to be very honest in their quarterback evaluations. Hopefully he gets better, but if he doesn't, this is a historically good quarterback class and you need to right the ship quickly. All right. On to Ryan Ziegler. A much deeper question than you should probably take on a load. Oh, God. But is this a scouting slash Raz issue? I have no clue what metrics the FO is using to grade these players, but they seem to be all focused on high-raz guys that don't have great football skills. And that seems to be showing up now. It feels like their analytics have a math error somewhere they haven't found. Uh, if that isn't the case, then they are downright awful at exploiting the talents of the players they've selected. So this is an interesting one, Ryan, and I do not think it's as simple as they overdraft high-raz guys. I, I just don't. Um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you can point to a few obvious, like Luke Musgrave maybe will disappoint because he runs like a baby giraffe, but high-ras guy. Jaden Reed, high-ras guy, has some problems like catching the ball. But, uh, and, and I guess Lucas Van Ness, high-ras guy. But like I don't think that's really the issue with the team. First of all, Jordan Love, not a high-ras guy, and everything comes back to quarterback. Um, he is definitely not an analytics pick at all he's a scouting projection pick he's a big arm guy and that's most of the issues they've had but also like Dontavian Wicks uh not a great Raz guy just a good one and definitely a scouting guy who I also like um who is a good 
like prototypical college receiver at least two years ago. Um, Grant Dubose, who's not on a team currently, is that kind of thing too. Um, and Van Ness isn't like a failure. It's early. He's been okay. He also has like a sling on his arm. And so I don't think it's it. Also, a lot of their offensive line play Raz guys have been good. Like Bakhtiari is not a big Raz guy, but Ellen Jenkins is. And Yash Nyman, who probably should be traded and isn't playing for weird reasons, but did block a field goal, <laughs> um, is a high Raz guy. And like they've actually had good success with a lot of high Raz guys. They've definitely failed more when they've gone away from their metrics, like with Amari Rogers. So I don't think that's it. Um, I think you can maybe fault a lack of unified vision in the front office that should combine Raz with good football skills so you don't draft guys like Amari Rogers. But I, I really don't think that's it. I, I think um, the, this is a situation where if you go to the Raz well, your odds are better. It's it's not perfect at all. It, there are There's research on receivers in particular that in the second round in particular, high Razzes can be uh, counterproductive. But generally speaking, better athletes are better at football. That's just that. All right. Uh, Flaily Joel Osment, uh, you all have such good names. What's the likelihood that Aaron Jones is saving himself for free agency? MLF sounded exasperated he couldn't play, so I'm guessing it wasn't his call. I don't think he, he's saving himself for free agency. I suppose it's not a nothing call, but like he's 29. He, uh, any strategery he's pulling by keeping himself out of games is definitely going to add very marginal value to what he gets as a contract. Honestly, if you're a 29-year-old and you're not on the field that much, that's going to kill your value. So um, I, I really think it's close to zero. And if he's galaxy branding this thing, he needs to stop. I think he actually is just an old back who's getting hurt a lot. And that's how that goes. All right. Uh, cheese Cavarici. What a, ah, so good. Cheese Cavarici. How bad do the results this season need to be for the front office to let players like Gary go without resigning them, embracing the tank for the next several years, resetting the cap, and rebuilding through the draft? What, if anything, is lacking in the front office coaching staff to make a plan like that successful? Okay, so not that much. Um, this team is in rough cap shape. And aside from everything else that's gone on, it's young, it maybe is undisciplined and not well coached. This team is lacking a lot of just pure dollars from a cap perspective because of Aaron and a lot of other transactions that have happened over the last couple of years. And that's a big problem. Like depth is severely impacted by that. It matters a lot. So um, Gary has not been resigned yet. He will cost a lot of money. And I am very sure Russ Ball is looking down the line like, what if we resign him? Is that like three years for a whole bunch of money? Well, uh, for anybody listening, the next time the Packers will probably have a full complement of salary cap is 2025. And if you give Gary a, a deal now, you maybe have him through 2027. But more likely through 2026, that's not a lot. He's worth a lot. He's his value is based mostly on athleticism. And if they want to trade him, now is the time to do it. Uh, I will actually be a little surprised if he finishes this year with the team. 
especially if they do not have a good win-loss record at the trade deadline. So I think it's somewhat likely that Gary will not be resigned and will, in fact, be moved to teams with better prospects in the near term because the Packers aren't going to have a lot of ability to fix things for another year and a half, which is unfortunate, but it's true. That's what those Aaron extensions do. Annoying. Uh, JD, uh, no sub-question, bummer. Uh, are Jair's post-game comments at all concerning? Pretty early in the season to have team dissension already. So uh, what JD is referencing is an interview Jair Alexander gave in which he said, something along the lines of the defense will have to hold the other team scoreless for us to win. The context of that was more aspirational. It wasn't as bad as it sounded. It was, uh, hey, we're a young team. We're going to have issues every now and then. And if we're really going to pull games off, we really need to be like really good as a defense. So I don't think it was as much uh, whining as it was made out to be in a lot of Twitter and the media. I think it was mostly along the lines of like, Hey guys, we got to play better. This is this is not Aaron. It's a young team. They're going to struggle. We got to we got to bone up. So, not a big deal. Uh, I think Jair was being. Uh, I mean, if he had forty five minutes to think of it in advance, he maybe would have phrased it differently. But generally speaking, it, it was just like, uh, yeah, we got to play better. Our offense is young, untested. We got to do that. Not a big deal. Totally fine. Jair rules. Um, Aaron Savage. Uh, who is the best quarterback in the NFC? <laughs> My gut says it can't really be Goff, Hurts, or Brock Purdy since the teams around all three of those guys are very poor, but the list drops off quite a bit after that, and indeed it does. Um, so I think it's, first, it's a tricky question because I think we're all a little skeptical of Purdy and Hurts, and I think that's all reasonable, and they did land in great schemes. Nick Sirianni and Kyle Shanahan, run the best schemes in the NFC and possibly the NFL. No question about it. Not even close. Um, However, I don't think we should take away from quarterbacks. First of all, on Brock Purdy, we have seen Kyle Shanahan with lesser quarterbacks, including Jimmy Garoppolo, who was very good in that system, but not this good. Not Purdy good. Purdy's been awesome so far. Like, go to rbsdm.com and look at the quarterback chart. Brock Purdy's like in his own little sphere out there. He's been fantastic um so it's probably him jalen hurts is tricky though because you know he was in the super bowl last year and he's the master of the tush push which is very useful in terms of leverage like nobody else is running this i know it was controversial over the offseason and that the nfl thought of outlawing it but it's not like every other team is able to copy it he is just a very strong quarterback who knows how to use his offensive line and while his raw numbers are not as good as Purdy's, like, he's still extremely good. So it's one of those two with a bullet. Now, um, if you wanted to say Jared Goff, okay, fine. But he's not good under pressure, and he is prone to fits and starts, and he's not high on any of my charts. So we're not going with that. Like, the best quarterbacks on the Dakota chart are Purdy with a bullet, Tua, Josh Allen also with a bullet, Um, on the CPOE side. Um, And then a bunch of guys who we don't trust. Herbert, Geno Smith, um, and Goff is kind of there, but not really in the ballpark. Mahomes is there, but he is, you know, he needs to turn it on a little bit. But I do think it's probably Purdy. And um, Purdy is an interesting case because 
by uh, you know I do college quarterback stats and Purdy was throughout his entire college career one of the most accurate passers in college football. He was a guy I I normally dismiss because he was not explosive at all at Iowa State. And when he was explosive, he had a super good team around him. I don't remember everybody on it, but Brees Hall was on that team and some other good guys were on it. But uh, there is a very good article in The Athletic about this past offseason about quarterbacks using driveline principles to improve their effectiveness. And if you don't know what driveline is, if you're a football person, not a baseball person, uh, driveline is a philosophy and a school of pitching development set up by a guy named Kyle Bodie, who ended up working for the Cincinnati Reds, um, that it has been very successful in helping professionals develop new pitches and in helping amateurs add miles per hour to their fastballs, significant miles per hour, not just like a one or two mile per hour game, but like a seven, eight mile per hour game. Um, Brock Purdy is featured in that athletic article with some other quarterbacks, one of whom was suspended for steroids. Um, as one of the guys who has added some zip to his fastball. And honestly, the only problem with Brock Purdy in college was that he was not a big arm guy. He was, I would say, below the NFL cutoff for arm strength. And I I had him in the same tier as like Bailey Zappi, who is also a super accurate guy who just has like a 30 arm. But Purdy went out and he did something about it. He actually improved. It's like a 40-45 arm, which uh, in that last 49er game you saw, like, Yes, he is great at the Shanahan stuff, hitting guys in stride, hitting short stuff, all the Garoppolo stuff, hitting guys in the middle of the field. But he does have the ability, if he sets up and manages to wing it, to actually hit some deep balls. And that is a huge difference, especially if you're a super accurate guy. So I do think it's Purdy. I think it's Hurts second. uh, And it's probably Goff after that because this is a terrible, terrible conference. But Purdy's good. Uh, don't let anybody tell you different. Even though he's playing in the system of a savant, he is an excellent quarterback. Um, and now I have to find my sheet of questions because I clicked over to Brock Purdy statistics. All right. Um, okay. I got to get this right because JR doesn't. Um, you're either a smart fella or a fart smella asks, we are on a low point of the roller coaster. So it's a doomer question this time. And it's two parts. How bad would Love slash the Packers have to end up this season before they'd realistically blow it up and try to find another quarterback? And how bad would they have to be before they should make the decision to do so? That's an easy question, by the way. I ask because I just get this feeling the Packers may be the sort to stick with Love perhaps a little longer than they should. Recall the preseason concerns of having a Mac quarterback as opposed to a good or bad one. I suspect they'd only pull the plug after this season if things are truly catastrophic. Does that sound right, or would Green Bay be quicker to address quarterback than I think? Now, I think, and this may be misplaced faith, but I think that they know exactly what they're doing. If they thought Love was the future, they would have given him a much better contract. The contract they gave him was a, we think you kind of suck, but maybe. And so if he doesn't do the, and maybe, this is over. They know. And the Packers, as a franchise, like I like to imagine them as having like a Kingsman style room where against the back wall they have a placard that says draft a quarterback when in doubt because that's how this franchise is operated. Uh, people forget when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, um, they still had Brett, but when Aaron started in 2008, they drafted two quarterbacks. Like they did not think he was good. They drafted Brian Brom and Matt Flynn, 
and gave him competition. And they have drafted quarterbacks routinely when they've had a set starter. Not always early, but they have done so routinely more than almost any other franchise. This is not a team to take that kind of thing lightly and to just declare that a guy's good absent all evidence to the contrary. So I think that they will not do that. I think they understand that this upcoming offseason has a lot of very good quarterbacks, that if the opportunity presents itself, they will take one of the surefire no-doubters. And even if those guys aren't there, because there are a lot of bad teams, they'll still go for a guy they think is a development prospect. This is not just Love's team. They will move on if they think it is in their best interest. And right now it looks that way. Uh, Matt Pickett, our co-host from last week, Matt Trombone, go listen to his excellent podcast, Hey, We Like Your Podcast. Uh, LaFleur with Rogers, good. LaFleur without Rogers, bad. Also, Joe Barry, maybe not bad, uh, too. So, I mean, yes, if you break it down that simple, um, that's kind of true. And one of our big questions in the offseason was, is this offense good because of Rogers? or LaFleur, or both, and for all the bad we've said about Aaron, Aaron's good at football, he's a savant, and he made um, analyzing and making decisions on LaFleur very difficult, because he is so good. And also on the other side of that, LaFleur without Rodgers is LaFleur with love, and love might not be very good, he was not a great college prospect. So, simply, yes... But it would be nice to have some kind of metric where he just had an average quarterback, you know? Also, Joe Barry, maybe not bad. He, Joe Barry's bad. So, Matt, the one thing I'll say to you is this. He had a good game, but uh, Joe Barry this season has an MO, which is if that if the opposing team is in the bottom five in rushing DVOA, uh, that's okay. Joe Barry can deal with that. But we have, man, we have seven seasons of Joe Barry sucking, and he is not good. We do know that with... I'd say a great deal of certainty. All right. Everybody's favorite, which I will try to read with my bad voice that is ripped up from yelling at people in soccer, the old man on a bike in Sherlington. I'm just an old man on a bike who recently concluded biking from Pittsburgh to D.C. Damn, dude. Nice work. Um, where there were many other old men on bikes. After that trek and the disappointing loss, I'm following the Packers' lead and mailing it in this week and taking a bye from questions. Well, God bless you because I am traveling and I uh, I just appreciate not having another eight lines to read, honestly. Old man, you rule. Uh, take a bye. You've earned it. All right. Uh, next from Scott. Are the 2020 and 2021 drafts a big part of what is hurting this team? With the salary cap, you need first contract guys to perform, and those guys are in their third and fourth years. The Packers spent heavily on offense in both uh, six of seven picks in the first four rounds, but only Love might be more than just a guy. Stokes is out hurt. Yeah, it, that's absolutely true. Those were not good drafts. Honestly, Goots had some rough drafts, man, uh, especially lately. They're not entirely horrible, um, but... Uh, uh, and recently, they've actually been, I think, a little bit better, at least more cromulent in terms of positional need and Raz and stuff like that. But yes, those are not good drafts, and its depth is the main problem with the team so far. Yeah, that's right. All right, next up, <laughs> Matt. Uh, Matt Noonan, my cousin, who's awesome. Uh, 
why would the Packers be better if they had a fullback? And when A.J. Dillon has moved to fullback uh, designation, is is he to be considered elite? So, first of all, everybody who's moved to fullback is elite. Uh, it immediately makes your Raz go to 10. <laughs> so, yes. But not really, because A.J. sucks at blocking. And, mm, yeah, mm, Matt, good question. A.J. does not suck at blocking. He's actually sometimes good in pass blocking. Um, but he's not powerful. And I feel like for a fullback to really be good... You need to crush a middle linebacker up the middle, and he just doesn't do that. So uh, that's not AJ's cup of tea. He kind of shies from contact, and uh, yeah. Um, but as to why they'd be better if they had a fullback, they absolutely would. It is a staple of the Shanahan offense. One of the best Shanahan receivers is Kyle Juszczyk, who is uh, not used a ton per game, but he is basically good for like two first downs a game. He is one of the best receiving backs in football. He is a crushing blocker, and he is not Josiah DeGuerra. They really don't have one. Um, it's sometimes hard for modern NFL teams to justify spending a pick on a fullback or even a roster spot on a fullback, but this team probably should have one because the way Shanahan teams work, and again, that's what we are supposed to have, is that you have heavies who can catch passes, like William Henderson to throw it back to a Packer fullback who could, or John Kuhn to throw it back to a Packer fullback who could, who, when lined up against light competition, open up massive holes for big backs. And they don't have that. It's a problem with the team. So yeah, Matt, I think you're right. Bring back the fullback. Um, AJ, I'm not sure I would put at fullback. All of their current big running backs, I'm not sure I'd put a fullback, but it's a good idea, and uh, we should totally do that. So, um, All right. Next, let's go over to uh, Blue Sky. Let's go away from Elon and uh, to the next best place to get social media football questions. And then I realized I didn't sort Twitter properly, so we'll do a little work there. But All right, so first up in Blue Sky. And by the way, if you don't have a Blue Sky code, Blue Sky, uh, if you're not on Blue Sky, Blue Sky is, I, I think, the best Twitter alternative. Uh, it looks the most like Twitter, and it function. It has a good enough group of people already there that it feels pretty much like Twitter. It has a couple things, one of which is, is invite only, and it doesn't have DMs. And I love DMs because the way I work on Twitter is I interact with my friends in DMs about things in Twitter generally, uh, and it would be nice if they had DMs, but they don't. But aside from that, Blue Sky is really good. So uh, it is invite-only, but if you need a code uh, on the Patreon, we do give them away with some regularity. I know my dear brother Danny was giving away some on Twitter today, but go, do check it out. Um, find all the people that you know on Twitter that are on there because it actually does work pretty well. But anyway, back to Blue Sky for a couple of questions. First from Pork Francis. Um, why does it look like opposing defenses know what's being run better than our own offense? Also, I love the show. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Pork Francis. I'm sure the other guys echo that as well. Um, the la So the first game of the season against the Bears was very creative. There were a lot of cool stuff. There, there was ah, there was a lot of cool stuff happening. Tight end leakouts, RPOs, play action fakes to people you didn't expect. Um, it ran very well. And last week against the Lions, a short week, I, I assume that that was what caused a lack of creativity in the offense, um, that Matt LaFleur 
drilled in the fundamentals and saw it as a test of running the fundamentals on a short week without time to implement fun stuff and it didn't work and I thought this week with 11 days we'd be back to creativity and we weren't. So um, I think part of it is the middle of the field being taken away. Part of it's Aaron Jones not being here, but part of it is Matt LaFleur's internal playbook not being as big as it probably should. So we played Denver next. Hopefully it comes back out then, but yeesh. Um, and on that note, let's just transition to Kaz. Um, what happened to the fun play designs? Uh, right? Um, TE leak, dual backs, deep crossers, misdirection. Felt like everything was either a throw to the flat or Dylan dive. Amen to that. I agree with you 100%. Um, the creativity, totally out of the playbook. Ridiculous. Did not like. Needs to be fixed. And uh, our good friend, Frightful Bischoff, Halloween spirit, is comparing Love's first five games to Rogers, a form of self-harm. Uh, yes, but it's not as much self-harm as comparing Love's first five games to Brett Hundley's first five games. So, um, yeah, there you go. If you don't want to hurt yourself, go look at that and yeesh. All right, over to our good friends at Twitter. I will not call it X. Uh, from Kropak Crow, our friends who run the Croatian podca podcast, which is excellent as far as I can tell. Um, pardon, drink of water. This season was supposed to be about evaluating Jordan Love, but at the same time, it is also about evaluating MLF as a head coach play caller without Air 12. I appreciate all the acronyms. All this talk about his greatness and scheming things up, coach of the year, is nonsense. Do you think he might suck? So he might suck, yeah. Um, I think it's not 100% certain. I will tell you, um, Easy Narc, who is smart about these things, does think he sucks and has for his whole tenure. So give him cred for sticking with it over even Aaron things. Um, he's a tough read because of his Tennessee time, where he was in charge of everything. Because in Tennessee, he did one thing I hate and one thing I like. And the thing I like, I'll start with that, is uh, his passing game was very Shanahan-y and that he got his starting quarterback, who was Marcus Mariota in Tennessee, to be far more accurate than he was at any other point in his career through scheme, through whatever. Um, that's what I wanted to see. However, he was also super run-heavy with Derrick Henry and whoever his secondary back was, some Patriot loser who I've forgotten at this point. Um, and I think that's the worrisome thing because what we've seen a lot of Lafleur is old-timey, we need to run to pass. Like old-timey garbage of like we need to establish the run. That is not how this works. Like the Shanahan offense is very much a, a game theory offense of if you do this, we do this. Not like... We need to be all grr, grr, run the ball to be able to pat. Like, and the first, the floater seems a little bit more like that, which is not great. So he might suck. Hopefully we learn more, but yeah, he might suck. Um, Keith Keskinen, who is the real Jordan Love? The first two games against Chicago and New Orleans or the last two games against Detroit and Las Vegas? So uh, the New Orleans games, he was not great. I think we should not um, give that one a higher rating than it deserves it was a late rally and um he wasn't good for a lot of it i think you got to kind of throw out the chicago game at this point like that's kind of the outlier here and uh once people figured out 
to cover the intermediate middle of the field. That's kind of the real Jordan Love. It looks a lot like he did in college. It's not good. It is bad, and he needs to show me that he can adjust when a defense decides to take away his bread and butter with good mechanics or with good accuracy on the outside of the field. All right. Um, Barton, Barton, 1331. What's the biggest hindrance on offense? Because there seems to be a lot of them. QB play, decision-making, inability to throw the deep ball, offensive line play, scheme issues, play calling, or is this just a lack of talent? It's really difficult to pick just one. So I don't think they have lack of talent. I think they're, they have talent that is imperfect and that they need to do a better job of emphasizing the good and de-emphasizing the bad. And against the Raiders, that did not happen. All of the bad came out in spades and was ugly and bad and everybody suffered for it. Um, I think this is mostly quarterback. And uh, I mean, it seems it sounds simple. And I know it's been the answer to like 10 questions, but like, the NFL is about quarterback play and anything else you do kind of doesn't matter if your quarterback's not good. So that's really it. Um, that's my answer to this sh- short question. There's been other imperfections. The receivers have not been perfect. LaFleur has not been great, but love, I don't think is it as of this moment in time, hopefully it turns it around, but I don't think he will. Um, Brian asks, do you expect any trades to occur as the season progresses? I was leaning towards them being buyers, but now I'm not so sure it doesn't go the other way. Thanks. I think they'll be sellers. They have a lot of guys on the way out, like Russell Douglas, um, even Rashawn Gary. If they're not good by the time their deadline rolls around, they have a lot of value that they can send away and extract draft picks for. And they're not going to be, like I said, they're not going to be cap hole till 2025. That's two years from now. If you've got guys on the team who aren't going to be here in 2025, you should absolutely trade them, and I think they will. Um, Jonathan Deal asks, "What was more hilarious? What was the more hilarious Barry call? Having Preston cover Devonte, um, or having him cover Justin Jefferson?" So the Jefferson. So first of all, I think these are probably the same. But um, there is a good article on Acme Packing Company about how this happened and about how they likely had an empty call on the defense that wasn't made, which Matt LaFleur basically confirmed after the fact today. So this was not a Barry problem. This was a defensive captain problem, and I don't remember if Quay was out or in at that point, but uh, it was whoever had the green dot. And there, first of all, kudos to Preston for doing something about the problem, <laughs> but the main problem was that the, the empty call did not go in. So... Let's not blame Barry for that one too much. There is a defensive call for that that has to happen on the field, and it was supposed to happen in this instance and did not. All right. Sam asks, what has happened to the MLF game plan the past two weeks? The first three weeks, he was leading the league in scheming people open. Now it seems no one can get open. Is it less time in the pocket? So I actually don't know that that's entirely true. And if it was true... It's been so undone by recent games that it may as well not be, which is uh, Lafleur's not a good opening play schemer, opening drive schemer at all. Um, I will try and post this in like the Patreon or something, <laughs> but there is a graph that somebody wrote that somebody figured out about the first 15 plays of the game, calling that um, in, uh, in scheme, in schedule, whatever, um, in 
planning where the Packers are horrible. They're actually much better um, outside of the LaFleur design scheme of the week. LaFleur has been quite bad at it, one of the worst in the league, if not the worst in the league. And so I'm not sure exactly what happened to it, but LaFleur needs to get better here. I think a lot of LaFleur's problem early involves running A.J. Dillon way too much and getting behind and down a distance and has not been good for that reason. He needs to open up the passing game early. He needs to go with the Shanahan philosophy of every down is a chance to pick up the first down, and that's our goal, which he is not doing. He's very much a, uh, we need to get in third manageable, which is a damaging, horrible thing to do. So um, I will, again, I'll try to post that with the show notes, um, but to keep an eye out for it, it's, it's an interesting chart. All right, Maxwell Gray. Have the Packers become the them in the phrase, I can't believe we lost to them. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I'm, I mean, there's only like six teams that are that, and yes, they are one of them. Um, Joe Rob asks, any chance we see the, we've seen the real Jordan Love like we saw the real Dan Gadzerich? <laughs> uh, sorry, Gadzerich. Always bothered me that he didn't do Gadzerich. That's a better name. Asking her a friend, we've seen the real Jordan Love. Uh, we have actually a very large sample size of Jordan Love playing this game, which is unfortunate because it's not great. Um, I was talking in the Acme Packing Company Slack today with John Meerdig, who does his own excellent podcast with his own silky smooth voice. Uh, I say that not saying I have a silky smooth voice because mine sounds like sandpaper right now. John's awesome. Um, but basically, uh, Jordan Love is playing the last two weeks like you would project him to play from college. He is the guy, he is a dime a dozen in college. Big arm guy, throws lots of interceptions, not accurate, but you think you can develop that arm into something useful. There's like a zillion guys a year like that. And, oh man, it's just what he looks like. So yes, the Dan Genzerich, uh just go with that. Dan Genzerich cup, perfectly cromulent. Yes, agreed. Um, Zach Van White, do you think the short passing, as far as depth of target, was due to Crosby ruining their game plan, or was that the game plan inexplicably against such a poor defensive backfield? So I, don't, I think they planned to throw deep. They actually tried to throw deep a lot. Uh, it did not go very well. Their plan against Max Crosby was asinine. I don't think there was any kind of chemistry uh, planning that went along with trying to block Max Crosby with tight ends. And if anything... Jordan Love's desire to throw deep and the blocking schemes that went with blocking the Raiders' edge rushers were completely at odds and didn't make any sense. So um, they tried to throw deep. Crosby ruined it, and they need to fix that. But there was not like a short passing game. Um, most of the checking down was because he was getting killed or um, just he is bad at throwing deep. Man, he's not good. Um, Harry Buttle our final Twitter question of the day. Looked like Preston was lined up with outside leverage on Devante. In a slant situation, that seems like the wrong choice. Coaching issue or brain freeze? Again, the defense called the wrong play on this one. Um, Preston was just trying to bail him out, and they were supposed to check to an empty set, and they didn't do it. So go check that out. But that's pretty much it. Um, I will uh, just throw things out there uh go listen to jr's podcast at the end of the brewer season with kurt hogue uh the micro brew on what really did the brewers in 
It's a really good listen. It really does, I think, fundamentally come down to their offensive minor league development from 2010 to now, which Kurt really does put into perspective. But it's a really good listen. Uh, JR, of course, is the pro's pro on all podcasts, and you should go check him out wherever he is. Yeah, he'll be back next week or the week after when he's not covering other sports. Um, I don't know what Matt's been up to because Matt's had stuff going on. I will just say that. But, you know, uh, Matt will have things. I'm sure that there'll be another hot take of the week sometime soon. And uh, we'll have, I think, the whole crew back sometime soon. It is for me. Um, my Shepherd Express column will be available shortly. Um, I had wrote a piece that I now regret uh, right before the game on how the Raiders are a mess. Although... Um, when I write stuff I regret, I usually don't regret it too much because it was fundamentally correct. The Raiders didn't score that many points. They they are a mess offensively. Um, their offensive personnel doesn't work that well together, and they really do only have one good defensive player. If you block him, you could win. And the Packers just didn't do any of that stuff. But um, I will have another piece up soon, and I uh, voice willing and time willing and other things willing. I will have a couple of fun things up over the next two weeks during the bye week that you will learn about later. So until then, enjoy the rest. I know I will. Um, have a good evening. Enjoy the football games that we're not involved in, just on the fun of them being played. Somebody told me that's where dreams would be. Gonna sell my car and go to Vegas. Finally see my name on the palace marquee Gonna quit my job and move to New York Yeah, somebody told me that's what